as I think of my childhood, like I almost don't have a category for having feelings or identity at all. It wasn't that there was an explicit message of your feelings don't matter right. or your identity doesn't matter. It's just how I approach the world. Who am I apart from what I do? I'm Sawyer Witted and I'm Scott Tress. Welcome to The Stories That Make Us. This podcast uses the tool of the Enneagram to explore the beauty and complexity of humanity through stories, both real and fictional. Some episodes, we interview live guests about their stories through the lens of their types. Other episodes, we'll dissect fictional characters to discover their types and learn more about ourselves in the process. Because the reality is, it can be hard to see ourselves accurately. The eye can see everything but itself. Thanks for joining us, and let's get to it. Welcome back to the show, friends. Hi, Scott. Hello. I have a question for you. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. If you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? <laughs> Ooh, okay. Okay. Uh, animal. I'm going to go with a jellyfish. A jellyfish? You don't have to care about anything. You float around, relax in the sun. It sounds like a great gig. Are you sure you're not a nine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I feel like I should answer that question as well. It's only fair. I think that I would probably, <laughs> I would probably be an otter. Okay, let's hear it. Because I'm thinking they're so playful, they're fun. I also feel like they don't give a care. Mm. I also feel like they don't have a care in the world. Wait, what's that saying? Don't have a care in the world. Don't have a care in the world. Is that yeah. how you say that? I also feel like they don't have a care in the world. <laughs> and, I could sign up for that. Yeah, and but they also get a little aggressive when provoked, mm. like me. <laughs> anyway, we are going to dive into type threes today. The achiever, the core fear of type three is being exposed or thought of as a failure, incompetent, inefficient, or worthless. The childhood message for the three was that it is not okay to have your own feelings and identity. And this came because they felt a need to perform to gain attention and thus love and respect. They believed they were only loved for what they accomplished and they would do well in whatever sphere they were raised in. They blend in with their communities while also pursuing ambitious goals, achievements, and trophies. This led the child three to believe an unconscious message. It is not okay to have your own feelings and identity. This then leads to their core desire. So as they're running away from their core fear, they're running towards their core desire, which is to be seen as respected, honored, admired, successful, and valuable. All along the way, however, they're tripping over this core weakness, which is the third core motivation of the type. And for the type three, that is deceit. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they tell all these lies. Rather, it's more so hiding aspects of who they are from others and ultimately themselves. They devote themselves to success at all costs, which means becoming whatever the picture of success is wherever you currently are. It's nurtured through their pursuit of positive regard from others to achieve, to be whatever they need to be, to be admired in whatever context they find themselves in. And finally, the secret sauce, the core longing, the thing that saves you from the trap of your type for the type three, the core longing is you are loved for simply being you. Since we're not threes and we don't really know what it's like to be one, we've invited a guest to join us, and that is Ryan Stones. Ryan is a projects and operations manager for an interior design business here in Pennsylvania. He is a father, husband, friend, musician, mentor, and leader in many spheres of his life. He enjoys working out, grilling, cooking, playing Overcooked on Switch, playing songs from Frozen on his guitar for his three-year-old daughter and trying not to lose his chops on trumpet. Yeah, I'm super excited about this interview because I am related to the interviewee. Ryan is also married to my sister and thus my brother-in-law. 
I've had the pleasure of walking life very closely with Ryan for almost a decade now, as well as leading worship with him at our previous church for seven years. He is a good man and a wonderful role model in my life. I'm excited for you all to hear him tell a story and share his heart. Let's get to it. Ryan, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah, this is fun for me. You being a dear friend of mine and also my brother-in-law and also a type three. So very excited to have you here. As we begin talking about the type threes and as you just paint us a picture of what it looks like to be a three through the way that you tell your story and what you share with us, the thing that we always start in is the fear. So for the type three, the core fear, this is the thing you're running away from. And as a kid, typically you feel this message strongly and it's not necessarily explicitly said to you. It can be very implicit, but regardless, you felt it and you experienced this message. And so for you as a type three, they often feel like they need to perform to gain attention and love and respect. That's like a big thing for type three children. They believe they're only love for what they accomplish and they are kids who do well in whatever sphere they were raised in. They tend to blend in with their communities while also pursuing all of their ambitious goals, achievements, trophies, etc. And this often leads the child to believe an unconscious message. Before we get there though, I would love to just hear from you. What was your household like growing up? What was your unique perspective in it all? So I had a great childhood, very loving household. I, as I think back on it, it's really mostly positive. I am the oldest child of three. My brother is 16 months younger than me. My sister is about three years younger than me. So we're all really close in age, but I just have a lot of positive memories. And so as I think about being a type three and even this idea that there's these negative experiences that motivated me, I don't really have a lot of those that stick out to me in childhood. However, I do have a lot of positive experiences. And I think that for me, the fear expressed itself in that I generally did well and received praise or encouragement because of doing well and didn't honestly do poorly a whole lot. My brother was always in trouble. He was always in the doghouse as my as my dad would talk about it. And I never was. Even talking to my parents today, I'm like, was I ever in trouble? They're like, I don't think you really were. Because <laughs> I just, I know there's a story too that we tell in family gatherings about how I think when I was like eight or something like that. I would be out with my parents and it'd be eight o'clock. I'd be like, mom, it's time for it's time for me to go to bed. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what kid has to go to bed? And I just, I don't know. It's just, it was just ingrained in me or who I was expressing itself that I just, what I did and doing well was just, that was just what I did. And I think what was, as I think about my childhood and even as I got look through to high school and I just did very well, even high school, I graduated top of my class. And I remember senior year discovering that I was number one in the class. And I was surprised because I wasn't trying to necessarily compete or get there the whole time. I just, most of high school, I worked hard. I did my homework. I did what the teachers told me to do and just ended up doing very well. So yeah, so I don't have these negative things with my household growing up. My parents often told me they were proud of me. They encouraged me when I came back with straight A's or when I did well in, in whatever I was doing in, in school. I can remember maybe a couple things in which I didn't do well. I remember I, I failed my sit and reach in elementary school. I'm extremely inflexible. Hmm. I don't know. I just, I can't touch my toes. <laughs> so, and I kind of brushed it off, but 
it meant that I didn't get like the presidential award or whatever because like, I couldn't touch my toes. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I can think of those things. They do those things do stick out as maybe the negative things, but even those things, I just brushed them off or really focused on areas that I did well and maybe avoided those negative things. Why do you think you avoided those things? I think that's probably precisely what it means to be a type three and that mm. it's trying to define myself based on what I've done and success and achievement. So it's like, let's stuff those things far away as we can. Let's just not think about them or- The moments um, when you don't succeed. Yeah. 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 Moments when you can't touch your yeah. toes. I can't or... touch my toes, but yeah, you know what? I'm a really fast runner. Like I, I can run the mile really fast. It's amazing to see how our type as adults has taken root even when we were children. Like we learned these amazing tactics as children to protect ourselves and that art of deflection that the three is really good at. I'm going to prop up and boast about my achievements and the things that I've done in these areas that I know have been successful and ignore the areas that I'm not divert the attention of everyone over to these things instead, because mm -hmm. they'll see I'm really awesome or cool or the best dressed or whatever the achievement is in whatever given situation it is. Right. And it's different depending on what, mm -hmm. you know, who you are and your own experiences. What success means is so subjective based on the person. Yeah. I can think of some, we've talked about this before, as I think of my childhood, a really painful memory I remember is back in second grade. I moved mid-year, so this is like around December that my family moved. And so all the other kids had been together since September, right? Mm -hmm. And then I move and I'm the new kid. Mm -hmm. And I very quickly, within probably a week or two, was getting like the top grades in spelling and different mm -hmm. things. Like I just did very well academically. And I remember being, on the one hand, very pleased with myself. Um, but on the other hand, there was some kids that were making fun of me, calling me Mr. Perfect. I remember telling my mom about it just being like really distraught because mm. I was doing the thing I was supposed to be doing, right? I was doing well in my, in my school and my teacher was pleased, my parents were pleased, but yet my friends and classmates like resented me because I did well. And so I just felt so conflicted because I wanted to do well and didn't want to compromise that, but I also didn't want to like lose friends or something either. So it was a, a kind of a formative moment. I think I've, I felt this throughout school where I felt this tension to want to kind of downplay my success and achievement. Whenever I get like a test back, I'd try to hide the red letter A on it mm -hmm. so that the other students wouldn't see it. I remember doing that throughout all school. Mm -hmm. But yet there's this like huge satisfaction when I would get that paper back and say, yeah, there you go, another A, awesome. Mm -hmm. So that's, as I think of painful moments, that's one, as I think of elementary school in particular, mm -hmm. that kind of sticks out high on the list. Yeah. And I think it's helpful to note too, for you, but also for our listeners, many people who are familiar with Enneagram know that we talk about subtypes. So there's three subtypes for every single Enneagram type that exists. And that's the self-preservation instinct, the social instinct, and then our sexual or one-to-one -one instinct. And really all that that means is the sexual or one-to-one -one is our instinct that has us focus on our relationships, our one-to-one -one relationships. The social instinct focuses on our group dynamics and how we fit into a group, how we work a room, that kind of stuff. And then our self-preservation instinct has to do with how we get what we need to be safe, secure, to feel love, to be fed, to have our thirst quenched. We have all three of these instincts in us, but one of them always reigns supreme. You are a self-preservation three. And so one of, one of the three instincts is called the counter type. And basically what that means is that you just tend not to look how a typical type three looks. So for you as the counter type, which is the self-preservation type three, oftentimes if the sexual three is trying to show all their achievements to attract someone to themselves or 
make themselves look really good so that people come to them in a more of an intimate one-to-one relationship way. And then the social three is, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna work this room so that everyone thinks I'm the best and that I'm like the coolest person here. Or as I said before, like the best dressed person or the most successful parent or whatever it is. Then what is true of the self-preservation three is more of this internal competition against themselves. And so there's this competition of I'm going to better myself. I'm going to get a lot of satisfaction out of the things that I achieve. And a lot of that's going to be an internal thing. To the rest of the world, I'll show them those things, but they'll do it way less than the social three or the sexual three. What they'll actually present, the self-preservation three, is an image of the good boy or the good girl. And in a lot of Enneagram literature, that's actually the phrase that's used, the good boy or good girl. And so it's interesting to hear you talk about that as a self-preservation three, because you you were saying you felt this conflict or this tension, internal tension of, I want to be the good boy because this is what I'm supposed to do. And you know that it, when you achieve these things and act like a good boy, you fit that role. Threes are all about fitting roles. You fit that role of the good boy, then your parents are pleased. But then your classmates are upset with you and you want people to like you and to respect you and admire you. So I, I totally see the tension there. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I can even trace that thread through even as I got older in high school. I remember in ninth grade in class getting a really good grade or something and I flaunted it to somebody. And I just remember, I don't remember how they responded, but it was really negative. And I'm like, oh, like, I don't like that. I didn't like the fact that flaunting it, I'm like, wow, I'm a real jerk about this. This is, I don't want to be like this. So what kind of happened in my academic setting is I tried to really downplay that success and achievement. I still wanted to do really well. Like I still worked really, worked hard and ended up doing very well in school, but I would just, I would try to hide it or downplay it with my classmates. Like I, people were talking about their grades. I just would be quiet or try to leave the conversation or change the subject or something. And then I also tried to divert or deflect attention by being, I wasn't exactly a class clown, but I tried to, you know, crack jokes and, and kind of my own expense, self-deprecating kind of humor. And I still, that's my humor to this day as well. But I think it was a way to try to deflect or avoid that, that typical wow, this guy's out in the front, he's better than everybody else. I didn't want to be that, which I think it sounds like that fits really well with being a counter type. Yeah. It's interesting too, just the whole time you're talking about all of this, you keep talking about how you're appearing to other people. Like that's the lens that you almost can't help but just talk that way. You weren't consciously thinking, I'm going to talk about how people view me. That was just Mm -hmm. happening because that's the lens through which you see the world. Where like other types wouldn't necessarily think that, right? That's just interesting. Yeah, I was always envious of people that, didn't care about what other people th- people thought. Yeah, what's that like? Uh, I just, it just was, it was just always on my mind, I guess. Mm, sure. Yeah. So the unconscious message that type three children feel is that it is not okay to have your own feelings and identity. How does that sit with you when I say that? So uh, as I think about that, it's interesting. And as I think of my childhood, like I almost don't have a category for having feelings or identity at all. It's just, it just feels like it's who I was was what I did. And that was never like explicitly said like that, but it's just, it's just how I, it's just how the world is. It wasn't that there was an explicit message of your feelings don't matter right. or your identity doesn't matter. It's just how I approach the world. Who am I apart from what I do? Hmm. I play soccer, I play baseball, I do well in school, I'm part of the choir or whatever it was like it's just it was was that the interesting thing too is even with my family there's 
probably multiple reasons for things, right? Some of that is, I think, me being a type three, or maybe a big part of that is being a type three. But it's interesting that my father was a Marine for 26 years. So the military culture, I feel like, has maybe some of those type three emphases to them and that feelings are downplayed. It's about the task. It's about the mission, right? So even in, in family life that way, it's it came both, I think, from within, but then also from without sure. that it just, we just didn't talk about feelings. Mm-hmm. It wasn't important or relevant. And it just was about what you did. Right. So as children, when we feel these really painful things, the amazing way that we're created and that our bodies, our amazing bodies work and our brains work is that we push away the things that are painful and it's a protection. It's a defense technique. And so out of that, we all develop this defense mechanism at a young age that we use throughout our life. And so for the type threes, the defense mechanism is identification. They identify with the successful role that's being played wherever they are, and they model their personality off of that. This personality, however, is not necessarily set and consistent because it can change on a dime when they go from one group to the next group or whatever setting they're in. And there's this message, this message that plays that says, as long as I'm becoming like the best person in the room, then I am okay. They believe that their success justifies this deceit that they wrestle with, this deceit of not knowing themselves, which we'll touch on later. Oftentimes, a type three feels an immense shame about this, but they don't recognize that. They don't realize it as shame. Again, because shame is an uncomfortable feeling and threes don't really want to feel anything that's uncomfortable. And so they'll just push that away or reframe it as something else. The message that kind of plays for the type three as they defend their fear is... As I continue to identify with my successes and polished persona, I no longer have to feel worthless and like a failure. And I can focus all of my attention on getting what I desire. Have you seen this defense mechanism in your life? What does identification look like for Ryan? So I've definitely seen this defense mechanism. I think it was actually most clear as I started to get older into high school and stuff. And I really felt this conflict in my sort of inmost being that I was a different person in different situations. I was really involved with the marching band and I was in leadership and stuff. And I was really pretty well respected because of my musical abilities and leadership abilities and was really recognized there and admired there. My band director really applauded my efforts. I was like the brass captain or whatever in our marching band. So I was like the leader of all the brass instruments there. Mm. And I remember just actually going into the band room during school and just feeling like, I can, I can be safe here because I know that I'm admired and accepted there, right? But then I would go to different places in the school. As I've mentioned before, like when I went into the academic settings, it was a different social group of people. And I had a different persona there because it was just, it was a different way of interacting with the world. And um, and I was a different person there. And then as I thought of outside of school, I was part of the youth group at my church growing up. And then I was a different person there too because of the the Christian context, I tried to be the good boy as we've talked about. But then in these school contexts, that didn't really give me much mileage there. And so then I would compromise myself morally. I would use more language or, or be more crude or whatever. Mm-hmm. And as I was doing these things and realizing, who am I? I'm, I'm this different person. And I think that's where, when you're talking about the sense of shame, I think I felt that pretty deeply. Mm-hmm. As we've talked about before, I just would try to stuff that and pretend it didn't exist. And I think as I got older, in particular, like as I got into college and really actually started to walk closely with Jesus and see how my identity was so wrapped up in these things, it helped me to start to disconnect and be more, I think, consistent 
and less operating less out of fear and trying to control what people think and say, hey, this is who I am and I don't need to try to an image here or uphold an image. I can be authentically who I am in Christ everywhere. Still work in progress, of course, but, but I think it was a big deal as I started to really pull that apart. So our defense mechanism allows us to run from our fear and defend against our fear. And it frees us up, at least we think it frees us up, to then pursue our core desire. And that's the second of the motivation, of the four motivations. And for the type three, it's to be seen as respected, honored, admired, successful, and valuable. It's to be seen as something worthwhile, right? Someone worthwhile. You want to be respected, admired, and loved. But because we live in a broken world, believing that you can never really have that and be sure that you have that, you focus your attention instead on vanity. And what vanity looks like in in the true sense of the word is this hyper-focus on the image that you project, making sure that whatever you present is actually selling to other people. And if it's not, then you'll tweak it so that you make sure it sells so that people will accept you and admire you and respect you and such. You crave positive regard and attention from others that then boosts your sense of self-worth. Sometimes you'll even compete with others to be seen as the best, but not necessarily always, especially if you're a self-preservation type three. I imagine that there could be a little less of that for you. So Ryan, I'm curious, how do you find yourself thinking about this? Would you say this is what primarily consumes your attention? What does it look like for you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Even as I think of those words like respect, admiration, like that's just that's just what I'm going for in life. I want my wife to respect and admire me and I think I'm a great husband. The other day, my daughter, she's three, she goes, Daddy, I want to tell you something. <laughs> and I'm like, what? She's like, no, down here. So I said, she wanted me to squat down because <laughs> I was standing. And uh, she says, I love you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's just, she doesn't throw that around a lot. She's a sassy little three-year-old. Mm. Like, she doesn't really say that very much actually. And to the point where I'll say, I love you to her. And she like will like tease me and not, sure. not say it back. So the fact that she said that was like a big deal. And it was like, it was a big deal for me, like that, that she loves me. It's a little three-year-old, but, but it just, it hits at that kind of core longing and core desire there. And even as I think of, I work as a project manager and a friend of mine recently, who's also in project management said that if you want to be good at project management, you need to get really good at telling people news they don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. And with project management of all kinds, whatever field it's in, it's going to cost more money. It's going to take longer than you think. And yeah, the quality is probably not what you had expected. And it's just, you just have to get good at giving people the bad news. And I think what's difficult about that field for me is just, is that I'm facing that a lot. I'm facing people that are disappointed in something because of what I've done. So I think it it can actually be a really difficult field for me, managing projects and particularly the field I'm in. I don't have a ton of experience. I'm still pretty new. I'm still behind the eight ball. The learning curve is pretty steep. It's and so therefore there there are things that mistakes that I'll make or won't plan things well just because I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so that's resulted in some really hard situations where clients have been really disappointed with me personally or with the business as a whole that I'm with. And that that has been devastating to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's just seeing that like core longing of respect and admiration mm-hmm. on display in Technicolor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I mean I see those things operating like honestly every day. How do you see it in social life? So outside of work? That's a good question. I'll have to think about that. Yeah. 
Do I have a social life? <laughs> oh, no. I meant when you're with people, like at church or like wherever else uh, you may go. You know, the past year, my wife and I have been visiting new churches. And it's actually really, it's really easy for me to do that because I, I have no problem just going up and striking conversations up with random people. I used to work in campus ministry and so I was trained how to do it. But I think just my personality and who I am, even as a three, it just makes it like really easy mm. for me as opposed to like my wife to, to do that. So yeah, I think it's some of that myself in those new church situation or new social situation. I do find it's not hard for me to work the room or to go and meet a bunch of people or honestly have good conversations with people too. Type threes are master shapeshifters. Yeah. So it's just, even as my wife and I are trying to decide on what church we land at, it doesn't, for me, I'm not personally concerned with which one it is. I feel like I'll be able to connect mm -hmm. with people wherever I'm at. Mm -hmm. That's less sure. important for me than it is for her. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. While you're running from this fear of being unworthy of failure, fear of being seen as incompetent, and you're running towards this desire of being, being seen as respected, being seen as honored, being seen as successful, put together, you're constantly tripping over this weakness. And for the type three, that's deceit. And what that looks like for you is you'll hide aspects of who you are from other people and ultimately from yourself. They often devote themselves to success at all costs, which means becoming whatever the picture of success is, wherever they currently are, whatever setting they're in. And it's nurtured through their pursuit of positive regard from others that we mentioned before and their pursuit to achieve and to be whatever they need to be admired in whatever context they find themselves in. Earlier, you said a question that I think all type threes, when they have a come to Jesus moment, so to speak, or a midlife crisis, if you will, <laughs> almost all type threes eventually break down and ask, who am I? And you said that question as you were thinking about your childhood, as you just identified with all the roles you filled. But it was like, wait, who am I? Who's Ryan Stones? It's a question I hear a lot of threes say was a breaking point for them. Mm -hmm. And so that's a piece of the deceit of you're so good at hiding who you are from other people that you end up hiding your, who you are from yourself. So yeah, as I say all that, what's resonating, what's not? I said it in, earlier I said in the context of high school and social situations and stuff, but mm -hmm. I've really had to wrestle with that big time vocationally since I graduated college. I'm 33 now, so I've been out of college about 11 years or something. Mm -hmm. And my degree is actually in trumpet performance, orchestral trumpet. Mm -hmm. And I ended up not going there that direction and went into ministry instead, mm -hmm. which was great for a little while, but it, it ended in my wife and I having to leave because of spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. And so really what was my plan A, B, C, D, mm. all the way through Z for my life to, to do campus ministry. I really loved the work. I couldn't do it anymore. Mm. And as a result of trying to work through what, what had happened to us, I just was so burned out. So I couldn't even consider doing another type of ministry either. And so that's how I found myself doing project management. Again, something that I wasn't trained for. I trained my whole life in music. And and then even, you know, ministry, I'd been in church since I was a kid and even had been doing ministry of some variety. Even in high school, I was in like ministry leadership or whatever in my youth group. So those things didn't feel, I didn't feel so inept, but then I got into construction project management, which I've been doing for five years. And it's been a long road of just honestly, a lot of failures. Mm. And it's been very much led me to the place at times of who am I and what am I doing? And why am I doing this? And and even with when the ministry stuff came apart too, it, a big identity question for me was who am I? I left college and I was very at peace with this idea that I am a missionary. I am reaching the campus and reaching the world. I am 
changing the world for Jesus, one relationship, one conversation at a time. That's who I am, right? So then when I didn't have that anymore, I just felt very lost. Who am I? What am I doing? But and what what is the point of my life? And it really it led me to just struggle with depression for sure and anxiety as well. Even as I got into project management, and there was just so many things that I just didn't know, and so many things would happen that I wouldn't see coming because I just didn't have the knowledge or experience to to foresee it. So yeah, so that question has has been a big thing that I've had to unravel. And but at the same time, it's I. I in a weird way, because of those hard things, I can actually say today that I am thankful for them because I think what it did is it stripped away some of those things about me that I think were unhealthy, that I was looking totally to what I did to define me. And when I didn't have that anymore, it's like, what's left? And I think that the really cool thing that happened is God used it to say, I'm left. Hmm. Oh, you got is me. Hmm. And so that's the, the message for a three that really changes things is that you are loved. Mm. And what's that? It's my three-year-old saying, I love you, mm. you know, like, but, but even more than the three-year-old is the God of the universe, like mm. looks at me and says, yep, I know every, all your junk. I know all of it. Mm. And actually I saw it coming too mm. from the foundation of the world mm -hmm. and I love you mm. and you are my son and this is the road I've called you to. Right. So, because I, I just, in my threeness or whatever, I, I never would have planned what the road that I took. I went to college to study trumpet. And part of the reason I didn't actually do trumpet is because I had some physical limitations in my playing mm -hmm. that would have made it really hard to make it as a professional. Mm -hmm. It was possible if I had gone to school for a couple more years and graduate school, and if I found the right teacher, that maybe I could get past some of those limitations. But um, it might be the equivalent of a, a pro football player. You have to run like 100 yards in a certain amount of time, right? You just have to. There's, only, there's no way to be a pro without doing that. And I was like a little bit too slow for that, where it's like I was borderline. So I, part of why I didn't actually go into that is because it, I may not have been able to make it. And that was partly motivated by, I think, just a wise, honest assessment of who I was and my abilities, but also, honestly, a fear of failure too. So I, I think that if I'm honest with myself, I think that was part of what happened. But my plan was to go to school and that was, I was going to go that professional route, but I just, I hit a wall basically and couldn't get past it. So then, yeah, even just having that trajectory where what I had originally planned to do or even spent tons and tons of money and time to study in college, that's not the road I went. But the thing for me is that's happened a couple of times and I just see God's hand in it and that, yeah, this isn't the story I would write. I would love to tell you that I went into trumpet. It was the plan A and yeah, I stuck with plan A and achieved and did well and succeeded. And I'm a principal trumpet player in some orchestra somewhere or something, but that's not the way that God took me. Mm. And I think there's things that he taught me in that road that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. But yeah, and that happened with ministry that took a, took another direction yeah. and now I'm in a different field altogether yeah. too. Yeah. It really speaks to the drivenness of threes too. Because I just hear you talk like about your roles. So I'm hearing two things as you're talking. The defense mechanism of identification showing up in your life, identifying yourself with a role, identifying yourself with something mm -hmm. that is not actually what your identity is, not who mm -hmm. you are, but a role, something you're doing. That's a big word. Mm -hmm. And then you're the drivenness of the type threes. So it's like they can get into these like zones of just focus and I'm going to do the best I possibly can in this situation. So being a principal trumpeteer, right? You're not going to be just someone who 
you're not going to be a secondary trumpeteer. Like, <laughs> you're going to work really hard so you can be the principal trumpeteer. Am I saying that right? Trumpeteer or should I say trumpeter? It sounds like musketeer, so that's cool. It we'll does. go with that. <laughs> okay, trumpeteer. <laughs> um, just say trumpet player because both of them sound weird to me. <laughs> sure. Yeah, fair. And then when the trumpet career didn't pan out, it was, I'm going to be a missionary and I'm mm -hmm. going to be... I'm going to turn the world upside down. <laughs> right. <laughs> be one of the best missionaries. I'm going to be in this elite group of, I'm going to change the world. But see, for me, and this is what we've talked yeah. about, is it was, mm -hmm. I'm going to change the world, but one person at a time. I was like, I'm not about numbers. That's just... Those people, I can't stand those people that are about numbers. That's not what Jesus is about. Mm. Jesus is about people. So it's just, it's interesting that there's even that, I'm going to be the best by not being the best. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's a self-preservation, right? Yeah. The self-preservation three, you're still very conscious of how you're going to be perceived by other people. It's not this, I'm going to love people one person at a time, purely out of a pure heart of just, this is just how we're, how I feel convicted to do ministry. It's this. I don't want to be perceived as those scumbags. So I'm going to be the good, I'm going to do it the right way. And hmm. people will respect me in that. Do you like hear the subtlety that's under there? Oh yeah. I think that's, yeah, what you're speaking to. So it's just fascinating as we yeah. start to come, become aware of those things, which I know you've already done a lot of work to be aware of that. It's interesting putting a language to it. That's the idea that you've talked about before of you can't avoid who you are. Like mm -hmm. even as you become self-aware of it, it's mm -hmm. just, you can't help but ooze yeah who you are the traps um, are always there yeah this is actually a great segue into the final core longing because the traps are always there and we fall for them and we slip into those traps the running from the core fear running towards the core desire tripping over this core weakness and all along we're not remembering what the truth is and this is what the core longing is this is what your heart needs to hear your head needs to hear your body needs to hear your spirit needs to hear and for the type three that is you are loved for simply being you when you hear this message what comes up for you what do you feel how do you hear it when i see it in movies because they they pound that message in movies a lot mm. you know, i think that perhaps american culture is kind of has a three emphasis to oh it. very much so then even even pixar movies or something mm -hmm. my wife and i joke I, I cry a whole lot more during movies than in real life <laughs> <laughs> i think some of that is because it's just i kind of repress that and it, and having it displayed in a story or in media like in, in an art form of some kind is really compelling to me because it helps me to reach that part of me that I suppress so much. And then I, I see a Pixar movie or something and I'm just crying. <laughs> art forms get yeah. behind your walls. Yep. Yeah. And in, in ways that you don't really expect because you're, cause you're yeah. watching the, the movie. So, but yeah, I mean, that, that message is one that I've always, always in, in my adult years, especially as I've come to grips with the gospel message of your, you're more, one way I've heard it described is you're more sinful, you're more broken than you know, but you're more loved than you can even dare imagine. I've heard the gospel kind of expressed that way. And that, as I heard it expressed that way the first time, and as it really got into my heart, it really changed me. And that's actually when I really started to follow Jesus in my early 20s, because I heard that message and I saw my need for him, but it just, it was like gold for me. I just, I, I, I was so excited about it that's actually a big part of why i ended up going into ministry eventually too was just because of see, seeing that message work powerfully in my own life like wanting to have an impact on other others in the same way to share that the same message so yeah that, that message of that i'm loved and valuable and worthy just just as i am i think that's been that's powerful for me something that uh, kind of a theory that i have for for us to be able to receive our core longing 
we have to do some work with our repressed center. Talk about three instinctual centers, and that's the heart, the head, the gut. Type threes are in the heart triad, and the heart has to do with feeling and relationships. The head has to do with thinking and analyzing and ideas, and the gut has to do with action and movement and intuition. For the type threes, you lie right in the center of the heart triad. What that means for you is that there's actually a lot of conflict with your heart center. You take in the world through relationships and people and you're reading emotions and you're reading how to get people to admire you and such. It's a very relational mindset. And yet what you repress the most is actually that same muscle. So you think and you have ideas and you do and you move into action. There's not a lot of feeling your feelings because again, the unconscious message for the type three is that it's not okay to have your own feelings or identity. Thus, Type three struggle with repressing their heart center. It's leaving room for your emotions, for really for being known by people in a lot of ways, because you, you don't even know yourself in a lot of ways. And so to receive this core longing that you are loved for simply being you, something that they can practice is slowing down, enjoying the present moment, not thinking about what they're doing next Tuesday, but enjoying the present moment right here and now, and also sharing their feelings with others. It looks like partaking in artistic endeavors, it looks like having restful days where you don't plan, but rather just enjoy the company of others and also days where you can be by yourself or, or hours. Life doesn't always provide the space for a whole day to just spend by yourself. But having some time, whether it's a morning or an evening, to just be alone and just enjoy being with a good book or your journal or with God, whatever. So for you, how do you personally, Ryan, as you've just grown, how have you seen engaging your repressed center, your heart has been helpful for you? And in what ways do you do that? Yeah, I, one way that comes to mind um, is the practice of journaling. So I think I've seen, and I've done that more or less through the through my adult years. You know, sometimes, and I just sometimes doing it more, sometimes doing it less. And I think I found it's been extremely helpful. I think I often will feel this sense of anxiety or just conflict, and I don't know why or what's going on. I just feel like these negative things that I can't really put a finger on. But then I sit down and I journal and put it all out on paper and I start to make sense of it. And I think the other thing it does too is that I am slowing down. I'm literally sitting on my butt, like mm. not doing anything productive. And especially recently, that's been helpful. I've struggled pretty regularly with anxiety in the mornings, especially when all the cares of the world and the worries of my day are close at hand. I really try to just be quiet before the Lord to get those things out on paper and actually not start working right away because that's what I want to do. I want to start achieving or working towards whatever goal it is I'm working towards that day. So I think that's good. Things I, I'm finding out about myself is that I, the songs that I tend to like the most are all sad. <laughs> they're all like, hmm. they're all terribly sad. <laughs> and the thing about it is those kinds of songs, I think, really get at feelings and they express that in ways that maybe I struggle to do otherwise. And I'm a... a I studied trumpet in college. I don't really play much of that anymore, but I play a ton of guitar, acoustic guitar. It's a lot, it's not as loud and a lot easier to play when my child is napping in the basement. So it's just practical considerations. But I also sing as well. And I do find that trying to really take time to just play and sing is really like deeply restful for me. Because it, again, it helps me to express these things that maybe I have trouble slowing down and even acknowledging her there otherwise. Yeah, or even another thing I, I do pretty regularly is running. I'm a runner. 
And that's something where I can be doing something. And so I'm like distracted enough that I actually am able to like just think. And so actually like going on a run can be like a really like spiritual thing for me, actually, because I'm able to connect with whatever's going on in my mind and heart and actually am led to engage with that stuff because it's just, it allows me to kind of slow down. Sure. It's really good for threes to get into nature. Yeah, that too. Yeah, it's just, and I hate treadmills. I will never ride on a, no. run on a treadmill. And I even, I'll run in like the bitter cold, like just mm-hmm. bundle up. And yeah, and I, I remember in college in particular, I loved running there because it just was in the, the middle of these federally protected battlefields. I went to Gettysburg College. So Battle of Gettysburg, all the battlefields are protected. And there's just these beautiful rolling hills, like trees. And it was awesome. And I would, I would go on like five mile runs and mm-hmm. stuff just out there. And it was really those are really helpful times for me. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. That's great, Ryan. And I like I like the things that you shared. It's reinforcing some of these things that we recommend for type threes. So for type threes, the breath prayers that we recommend for them, as you breathe deeply, you breathe in, and then you breathe out the message that I am loved, I am valuable, I am worthy, I am enough just as I am. And then the affirmation, the sentence that we recommend threes to preach to themselves, kind of speak over their own hearts and remind themselves is that I am loved and I am worthy apart from what I achieve or do. And then remembering your beauty, something that we want threes to know is that when you believe that you are loved for simply being yourself, it gives birth to your virtue, which is trustworthiness. What that looks like is you're actually able to be who you are with integrity in all the spheres of life that you exist and move in. You also then are leading and casting a vision whilst remaining authentic. And it's this beautiful thing that threes give to us because threes are natural born leaders. You'll always be in some form of leadership role because it's just who you are. And we love that about you. But with this trustworthiness, you'll enjoy the fruit of trust as you share authentically both your strength and your weakness. It's this message that says, people really do love me for just me. They just love me for who I am. That's it. And that's true. Many people in your life would say that's true. We love you for who you are, not what you have achieved or done. And we just enjoy being with you, period. So to put that into an image for you, if you think of a tree, the trunk of the tree is this message that you are loved for simply being you. The branches is this virtue of trustworthiness where you become this person who is authentic and able to be trusted. And then the fruit that is then naturally born from those branches is trust. This trust that you are loved apart from what you do. And also this trust where other people see you as authentically one person and someone they can confide in and someone who will champion them. I think it takes a lot of trust for someone to allow another person to lead them. And type threes are amazing at championing other people and giving them hope. I think that's one of the biggest gifts that type threes give to us is hope. I would say that the fruit that you bear is actually trust and hope for other people to benefit from and see and for you to benefit from and see any final words or thoughts or golden nuggets you want to share for other type threes listening or anyone who loves one yeah i think that the thing i've been thinking about is i've been looking over the these core desire and core fears and longings these things that you've sent me in preparation for this time i think that seeing the power of jesus get underneath all those things and change me from the inside out is really powerful as i've grown in jesus that trustworthiness I think has grown as well, where I can be who I am. I'm not paralyzed by fear or consumed with what do people think as much. Mm. It's still a daily struggle for sure. But yeah, being at peace with who I am and if I'm working, work unto Jesus. It's not about respect and admiration. I still hope I get that, but it's not. it doesn't control me. I can 
move into situations where people are really upset, but just still try to uh, honor Jesus and bless them, whatever the requirements of my work is, or or with friends or family, just try to not try to control the situation and control my image, but to be authentically who I am, share my weakness and struggle. And I do have my wife, who's a four, that helps me with this. She's always telling me to smell the roses, as it were, right? She's always telling me to slow down, which I've been so thankful for in eight years of marriage. It's just, it's that has really helped me having her along for the ride and her really helping me to be authentic and have integrity and trustworthiness as I mm. not just lean into my strengths, but actually share my weakness as well. So yeah, so that's, that's all I got. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. I've just felt my spirits lifted during this whole last hour being with you. Thanks for sharing authentically and letting us see you. You're yeah. a wonderful person and grateful for you, man. Yeah. Thanks. Grateful for you as well. Thanks for listening in today, my friends. Ryan is wonderful, and I'm so lucky to have him in my life. It would mean the world to us if you could go and rate our podcast and give us five stars and five stars only on Apple and Spotify. (laughs) We want to spread the word about this podcast, and we would love if you could help us do that. Also, if you have any type threes in your life, share this podcast with them. They deserve to be known for who they are, not what they do. Yes. And if you were wondering about the song playing in the background right now, that is my song for type threes, fittingly titled Three. It's from my album, Enia Songs. Fun fact about this song, I used a lot of brass patches in this one to emulate the polished, successful image that threes tend to feel like they need to give off. I also used brass because Ryan is a trumpet performance major and it's a little nod to him. Anyway, we love our threes. Thanks again for listening today, friends. And always remember, we need a tool like the Enneagram to grow in self-awareness because what you don't own owns you. Be well, friends. Peace. (laughs) Peace. And what I represent I'll show I'm impressive and standing taller than you've ever seen someone stand before. He enjoys working out, grilling, cooking, playing Overcooked on Switch, playing songs from Frozen on his guitar for his three-year-old daughter, and trying not to lose his chops on trumpet. Yeah. Is that a saying? A music saying? <laughs> your chops are like your ability to play. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say that again. <laughs> Just say, and trying not to lose his mm-hmm. chops. And trying not to lose his chops on trombone. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> Scott What edits. other instrument These I are say? Scott edits. I love them. Uh, uh, <clears throat> and trying not to lose his chops on trumpet.